0: Hey, Alex yep we can rebuild it we can make it smarter we can make it more coherent we can make it more enjoyable Not that it matters <laughs> <laughs> Hey there guys it's Thomas with uh, movies after work and I'm Alex Lewis. yeah and we are here we are going to be you asked for it you're getting it we are fixing. The X-Men franchise, the 20th Century Fox portion of this little Marvel world, but you know, this is what 13 films compared to one, like we did last time. Yeah. It's a, a little bit more. It's a little bit more weight, so to help lighten load, we uh, grab one of the uh, one of the good guys. To to help us out, (laughs) superpower of dealing with a good, sizable collection of stuff, we've got Monty of the Movie Marathoners Podcast.
1: Hey, what's up, guys? I paid six bucks to watch New Mutants, so I have come prepared.
0: (laughs) Keep keep (laughs) the receipt, write it off on your taxes. (laughs) Uh, I... Yeah, thank you for that kind of, that level of commitment. You're um, yeah, we. Um, I honestly I keep forgetting and then being reminded that that film is even part of this. <laughs> uh, much like a Fox executive, if we're being completely honest.
2: We're gonna come back in three years and finish up and do New Mutants.
1: Yeah. <laughs> With uh, the Purpose. Yeah, it's, hasn't this podcast been delayed like three or four times already?
0: Uh, yeah, we had to delay it for, for all sorts of different things and yeah, now we're, we're finally here, <laughs> Fi- finally here to underwhelm everyone. <laughs> it's why, it's why we brought you in. You are our, I don't know, would you, ra- would you rather be the girl from Game of Thrones or the girl from Split to give us credibility?
1: Oh, girl from Split. Okay, girl from Split for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anya she, Taylor Joy.
0: Yeah, she's got, she's on her high point right now with Queen Gambit, so I get it.
1: Yeah, I'm here to kick ass and uh, take kings.
0: All right, that works for me. If if you feel the need to use your your best version of a Russian accent, you are more than welcome to. If you feel so bold.
1: I honestly don't think that I could do a much better job than she does in the (laughs) New Mutants, so I think I'm going to stick with my American accent right
0: here. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, So, guys, if you did not uh, listen the last time we did this with Universal's Dark Universe franchise, um, and Universal, again, you're welcome for calling it a franchise, um... (laughs) We are basically just going to be sitting here and dissecting some little details and, and factors of the, the X-Men franchise that we think could have been changed or touched up upon to make it a more successful, viable, and long-lasting franchise. Because realistically, I mean, this franchise has got, what, almost a 20-year lifespan an almost yeah. twenty year lifespan, yeah, just about. thirteen movies, and I mean it's it's safe to say that it just never really got its feet off the ground. Um it just kinda it just kind of wallowed in, in the shallow end refusing to, to get into the deep end. So um, we're here to shove its head underwater and teach it how to swim.
2: It's it, more more than not getting finding its footing. I think it's stuck in the two thousand post Matrix aesthetic that Brian Singer built, and I don't know that it ever really shook that. And when it tried to do something different, I, I think the the prequel sort of series should have been its own. It should have been a full reboot. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest issues.
0: Yeah, there's, yeah, there's so many, so many things. Um, but yeah, you make a good point. Brian Singer is to the Wichowski is what Zack Snyder is to Christopher Nolan. Uh, taking an aesthetic and, and running with it without really figuring out what they were running with. So you kind of hit the nail on the head on that one. I've never even thought of that. But uh, just a quick reminder to everyone of the rules... That we, uh, that we follow when we do this, just to make it so it's not too easy on us. Uh, we cannot change the cast. The people that have been cast in these films are the people that are cast in these films. We can make some adjustments to their characters, but we can't sit here and completely recast the movie. Uh, there is no changing the film's order. So we can't sit here and shuffle the movies, so that way it's just one continuous timeline. They are in the order that they are in. We have to live with that. We have to work with that. Uh, no complete script rewrites. You know, it obvi- seems, seems a fairly obvious, but yeah, we can't sit here and go, okay, well, I'm going to completely rewrite what Dark Phoenix was so it doesn't even have a scrap of what was in the original film. <laughs> uh, yeah. No doing that. Um, but we are allowed one rule breaker for the franchise. We are allowed at one point to take one of the rules and throw it out just one time during the franchise. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what everyone's rule breaker is. Uh, I guarantee you right now there are, um, people who know me well that are, that are listening to this episode that are already sitting there rolling their eyes going, Thomas, we know what yours is. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you guys decide to go with for your rule breakers. So without further ado, let's dive into things. Monty, tell us what some of your, uh, your plans are for fixing the X-Men franchise.
1: Yeah, so probably the most interesting aspect for me about the X-Men franchise is how reactionary all of its films are to the success or failure of previous films in the series. So, you know, it's interesting to kind of think about how you might go about fixing these, because if you look at individual films, if you fix X-Men Origins Wolverine or The Wolverine, you don't get Logan, which I think is pretty unanimously known as one of the best in the series. And I think if you make the last stand this amazing caper of a trilogy um, or the amazing cap to a trilogy that it's supposed to be you probably don't get that soft reboot in first class so it's a really weird series to see like well if we fix one thing here how does that affect you know six or seven movies down the line but I kind of started by doing and uh, a kind of a, an overall thought experiment on what are the main problems of the x-men franchise and i came with came up with four um the first one is that i think that it lacks this overarching narrative or any sort of thematic cohesion between any of its movies so i'm not saying that everything has to have like a build up to an avengers type team up thing but i do think that the characters need to evolve and there needs to be a growth of the series in a way that feels like something other than what it actually feels like, which is Fox just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, the other problem that I think some of the earlier ones especially have is that the action scenes are pretty boring. Um, they're uninspired. I don't think Brian Singer is a very good action director, so there's not yeah. a lot of energy in these films when it's time for the action to kick up. Um, the third problem that I found was... The really obvious one—it's almost like a meme or a joke at this point—that there's just so much selective continuity here. Um, I think that the DC does an interesting, or the DCEU does an interesting thing where they just say, you know, whatever—we're gonna have six Jokers. Who the fuck cares? It's all Jokers everywhere. <laughs> jokers all the way down, and that works. Um, but this series kind of wants to have that with logan and deadpool and all of these things but then it also wants to commit to continuity with x-men x2 days of future past all of this stuff so pick a lane guys um and then the fourth one is something that i think tom you were hinting at there which is that there was just too many bad movies right at the cusp of the franchise kind of kicking up into the franchise greatness like they had a good solid first two films but right when they wanted to make the franchise into something more than that, they had a bunch of misfires. And then they've just been trying to like, you know, play catch up since it's always one step forward, two steps back. You know, you get something good with first class and then you have an X-Men apocalypse or you have something great with Deadpool and Logan and then you have the dumpster fire that is Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of the problems or a lot of those problems are fixable um, even within the rules that we've outlined. But um, I just talked for a long time, so I don't want to hawk the mic too long. <laughs>
0: no, no, I, I, I gave you the mic. You're allowed to, you're allowed to use it.
1: <laughs> All right. So um, I think the one thing that the X-Men does really well compared to other film franchises is that they have a ton of incredibly talented actors and they also have the potential for really fascinating social commentary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's no secret, right, that the X-Men came about at a time when civil rights movement was at a peak, um, and so they stood in for minority representations in African Americans. Um, but, you know, that could be substituted as pretty much anything. It could be gay rights, it could be trans rights, it could be a whole litany of things depending on the given social climate. and. I think that the films just really barely touch on that. Like the closest thing that we get to that is um, the the sort of the coming out scene of Bobby or Iceman and X Two, yeah. um, which is very over and very clear, given that Brian Singer is also um, a gay man. So that type of stuff I think is really interesting. And my main change for these films is that I think the films need to stray away from. the more often than not i mean you know every now and then you do want like a big epic thing but stray away from that and focus more on these personal stories these interesting conversations and dialogues between characters and instead of just having um you know the dichotomy of magneto and professor xavier have you know a um a what's the word a um a spectrum of opinions on what do people think about these what does storm think what does cyclops think what all of these people should have different ideas and we should know them as characters so that when they're fighting they're fighting against their ideas and they're learning and evolving as they're interacting with all of these people. And those, I think opinions should change throughout the films as we learn more and more things. And we get things like the Sentinels and the cure and all of these things that really complicate all of that stuff. But in the current iteration of the X-Men, it's just set dressings for Hugh Jackman having shiny claws and I think that this series has a really great potential to make it an ensemble piece um, and have us care about every single one of these characters and have different movies focus on different characters. And I think you can do that without rewriting everything. And like I said, so many of the actors in this series are incredibly talented, so we don't even need to recast them. So those are not my big... Uh, that's, I'm not using either of those as my um, you know, rule-breaking change.
0: So... So then the question becomes, what is your big rule-breaking change?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so um, my big rule-breaking change, I guess I have to sort of outline why I do this first. Um, So I I like the first three films. I think they're structurally fine as they are. Um, You obviously need to, uh, not rewrite, but change the focus of the third film. I think you can completely scrap the Phoenix Saga. I don't know if that counts as a rule breaker, but given that there is so much about the cure, I think just ignore Dark Phoenix Saga, make it all about um, the cure, and have this ultimate conclusion of that trilogy in The Last Stand. And then after that, you you get first class So that introduces the first generation of X-Men and and it explores the cyclical uh, cyclical nature of prejudice, racism. We see the same stuff happening at the start of the X-Men as what we see in the early aughts in those first couple films. And so you get to focus on new characters, but it's the same sort of stuff. Um, And there's some interesting commentary there. And then my big rule breaking change is to actually swap X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men Days of Future Past. So when we – I think that they kind of blew their load too early with Days of Future Past. Um, yeah. They didn't build up enough with the the new series to have it come in and be almost saved by the old series. So I think if you do X-Men Apocalypse, um, completely have Magneto sit out this movie. We don't need Magneto if we have Apocalypse. So now it's just – a more personal and ideological struggle against Apocalypse. We don't have the nuke thing that they do. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of mutant kind. Apocalypse wants all the powers of the mutants, but it's not this, like, world-building thing that they try to one-up Days of Future Past with Apocalypse. So now we have more exploration with those characters in the um, from the first class. And then, finally we go to X-Men Days of Future Past that kind of unites the two franchises and it closes this in this epic chapter uh, people die, you know, whatever um, and then we also get that nice little caveat of fucking with the timeline or creating rifts and parallel universes and stuff and then that opens the doors to Deadpool Logan, New Mutants even, um to kind of let the franchise split off into wherever it wants to go. And in my case here, Dark Phoenix no longer exists because they didn't screw everything up. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've never, so we've never touched the Dark Phoenix uh, saga in any of your movies. I mean, so I know people love the Dark Phoenix saga. I've never actually read those comics, and I know yeah, that have great no comics. Yeah. yeah, I have I just you know, you tried once, you tried twice, I don't try, like, show that you can do the cure and all of that stuff separate from the Dark Phoenix and then maybe I'll let you do the Dark Phoenix again. But it's just, you know, clearly there's a disconnect there.
2: Yeah. It, specifically with that, it reminds me of um, Spider-Man trying to do the symbiote uh, saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, kind of it not doing great in, in Spider-Man 3 and then them not even giving tom holland the chance to put on the black suit uh before they make a solo venom film um so they i feel like dark phoenix is kind of sullied for a while i don't know that the MCU would ever try to tackle that um i i near a lot of what you have said um i think the franchise overall uh especially the Ryan Singer-directed films, you know, one of their biggest problems is there's no one more important than Wolverine in yeah. all of the films. Yeah. Um, he's kind of the, the through-line in, you know, essentially the whole franchise, uh, which is why um, First Class is my uh, personal favorite film in the franchise, because we get yeah, that break you know, fuck off from him. And yeah. or go fuck yourself, and then that's that's it. You know, it's fan service, but it's it's a wink and a nod to the the previous series of films, but we don't have to dwell on it for too long.
0: Um, well, and also also I'd like to add that first class I would argue is the only is honestly the only movie X Men movie with Wolverine in it that really gets Wolverine right. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm very, I mean, as hot a take as this might be, I'm very much including Logan. I, like this, like this was, this was the, the watching that moment for me was going, Oh, so someone finally did about as, as yeah. good of a job with, is with Wolverine as we're going to get. Okay.
2: Yeah. That's, you look, you look at it and you go, that okay, that's how you do Wolverine. Like that's, and, uh, I, you know, I didn't know how much we were going to talk uh, piece by piece about each film. Um, but I actually rewatched the first X-Men film for the first time in uh, it has to be well over 15 years. Um, and I realized that I haven't watched that because that movie scares the ever living shit out of me. I think I watched it when I was, um, you know, right when it came out. So I was maybe eight or so. Um, I think I watched it just a little too early Uh, My first note in watching X-Men was X-Men, a series of repressed screams from my childhood (laughs) Like, you could rank the distressing screams in that film From uh, Rogue and then um, Someone's mother Uh, (laughs) Like, just the screams that (laughs) Penetrated my young mind and won't allow me to revisit this film. Um, I had to dredge back up, but uh, I think the the first X Men film we we introduce uh, Wolverine far too early. I mean, you should know within eleven, you know, ten or eleven minutes of of the film starting that Wolverine is basically going to be the main character, um, and then we see his claws like three minutes later. So they didn't there was no intrigue or mystery they, they wanted to front load it with Wolverine. They, they knew that, you know, they'd hoped that he was going to be the draw. He was going to sell the tickets and everything else. Um, I think the, that the chemistry between Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, like is obviously spectacular. Um, I mean, one of the best scenes is, is them just in the hallway uh, at that sort of press conference thing um you know just the short conversation that they have together is one of the best aspects of that film um i i agree uh monty with with your points about uh it's it's hard to dissect or rearrange this franchise because you don't get first class without the botched last stand um you don't get logan without x-men origins wolverine which um Logan, I don't love by any means, but I think it's far better than, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, I think, I think Wolverine's a f- fine film, but you know, it's, it's a popcorn action film, sorry, popcorn action film that I watched once and haven't watched since then. So, um, you know, it's nothing spectacular. It didn't really drive the series forward. Um, you know, again, it's, it's in the post-Matrix era, and they had to drive home that, you know, we can't have the, the blue and yellow suits, we have to have the black leather, and everyone's got to be moody, and there can't be a ton of comic relief in this film, and um, it can't be crazy, harebrained, you know, they couldn't introduce Phoenix immediately, or the time travel elements, or anything like that. Um, nor did, do I think they had to, but if I, I was to, um, workshop the, the first, you know, three movies or so, I think to, I understand the, the, the you know, the desire to immediately put, uh, Charles Xavier and Magneto to pit, to pit them against one another, um, but I think they played their hand like far too early. I think it'd be a much more compelling film if Magneto kind of played in the shadows a little bit and maybe he was brought in, in the, you know sort of in the final act um, to, to do basically what his plan was. Um, but to, to see him operate in the shadows and us not necessarily know who it is and then to be introduced to him at the end and then him become the real you know, threat in the second or third film, I I think would have been better for the franchise, uh, or at least a more interesting uh, direction. Um, I like what you had said about how we really only see uh, Professor X and Magneto's worldview, their point of view there, um, what motivates them to help mutants, because they're both trying to, you know, act upon you know for the betterment of mutant kind but it is just their beliefs opposed to one another and everyone who is working with them you know the x-men and then the brotherhood of mutants they don't have beliefs of their own they basically are just extension of you know of magneto's beliefs or professor x's beliefs um I also think that the love triangles in this franchise are really just poor. <laughs> oh god, um, yeah, drop them. They're 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 one of the just. I, I feel like that's a trope that's kind of been eliminated from films of of like recent days. Um, I you don't see many love triangles in films anymore, and I feel like X Men. There's so many of them in so many of the films, and if you're Wolverine and you walk into You know the uh, Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, and you see Jean Grey, and you realize that she's a Cyclops, and you don't try to pursue Storm. Obviously, the more attractive person in the house, you're just an idiot. So,
0: well, maybe he maybe he saw Golden Eye. (laughs) You know, maybe maybe he saw Golden Eye and and was fixated. You know, I don't.
2: (laughs) That's not a that I can't justify that. I I well, Halle I, Berry has been in Goldeneye and Catwoman, and she's still f- far more attractive than I. I'm <laughs> almost not almost anyone else in the X Men franchise. I'm, I'm not <laughs>
0: saying he's right. I'm just thinking of potential logic that might live in his mind.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. So Tom, what are, you, what are some, some of your thoughts? Uh,
0: well, first, do, what was your what was your big rule breaker?
2: Um, I mean, honestly, I. I don't know that I would have a, a big rule breaker. Um, like Mont said, I th- you know I think this this these series of films are relatively well cast. Um, I don't think anyone is awful. Um, most people are serviceable, if not really fucking good. Like Ian McKellen as as Magneto and um, Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. Like those are two of the most like. Really talented actors giving it their all to material that maybe didn't deserve it, but they also looked yeah. at the part and they acted <laughs> yeah. the part. Like you know, it it was them in particular are the strong, you know, unarguably the strongest act aspects of this franchise. Um, I kind I kind of feel the same way about uh, James McAvoy and uh, sorry, I'm like kind um,
0: Michael Fassbender.
2: <laughs> Michael Fassbender, thank you. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't really mess with casting all that much. Um, I think if I was to do sort of a major rewrite, it would be to keep Magneto hidden away for the majority, if not, you know, the entirety of the first film and sort of bring him into the spotlight in the second film, make him a bigger threat, you know, and I'd like, um, you know, some people really don't like magneto's sort of flip-flopping because magneto is one of those characters uh you know where however the writer wants to write him he can be as evil or as kind-hearted as you want him to be like yeah. he, he he flip-flops very easily um and, and i don't necessarily hate that because like you know like i said he's working towards the betterment of mutant kind. You know, Charles is not his enemy. He's simply an obstacle he needs to get through. So, you know, maybe you keep Magneto pulled back in the first film. You introduce him as this bigger threat that is opposed to Charles' beliefs and the way he operates. And then in the third film, maybe that's when you can have the sort of changing of, uh, you know, allegiances or changing of beliefs and,
0: Allowing them to take on a bigger threat. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I see see what you're... Um... Yeah, well, and I think... uh, I, I mean, I would argue that... If you're doing Magneto right... And you're not just going... Hey, look, it's the Holocaust... Just for the sake of claiming character continuity... Yeah. Um...
2: For, That's the I mean, other
0: stream I was referring to, Magneto's mother. Yes. By the way. <laughs> um, you know, Xavier is essentially an enabler in Magneto's mind to humans, the way that there were people who enabled the Nazis, leading to his family getting captured and, and all subsequent pain that happened to him as a result. So I think as long as you. You know, use his backstory is more than just thinking that the Holocaust is a cool set piece. Like I'll argue, both movies that used it did. Um, I think you can actually get something more interesting in terms of of uh, character depth and motivation. Yeah.
1: I also think there's just a problem with, like, too much Magneto. Like, I don't mind the flip-flopping too much, but, you know, especially in that second trilogy, he, like, flip-flops and then flip-flops again, and then maybe even flip-flops a third time if we count Dark Phoenix. Yeah. So I think it would be, the flip-flopping would be better, and just understanding him as a character would be better if there were times where he was just in prison for a little while or i don't know maybe the family that you create for him between movies lives for one movie and he's off screen with them for that entire movie and then in the next movie he comes back and is like well my family's dead yeah i'm pissed i tried to find happiness instead of just like giving him a reason to like i just think they don't really understand I, i think the thing about Magneto that would be most interesting is if he's a bad guy, but you still understand what he's doing. And I think that's a really obvious thing to say, right? We have villains like that all the time, like Killmonger is a classic example of a villain who's clearly in the wrong, but you understand what got him there, and you understand why he's doing his things. And instead they kind of just like try and make Magneto a really good guy, but also when the time comes for him to be a villain, they make him a villain. And it's yeah. not the same thing, and I think it's weaker for it.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I, it, I, I, think I wonder I,
1: why... Sorry, go ahead.
0: I, I was just going to say, I think it would have been interesting if, for uh, X-Men Apocalypse, for example, if instead of giving him... suddenly giving him a, a family, a questionable timeline family, and... <laughs> Than having one of the, having what has to have been, has to be one of like Hawkeye's distant relatives, you know, like bow and arrow them down. Um, I, it almost would have been more interesting if they had started his little commune. Yeah. From Dark Phoenix then. Yep. And whether it was Xavier coming to ask for help or Apocalypse coming to recruit him, we literally just have one scene of him going, you know what, I'm going to let this play out, because looks like it's going to be death and destruction for humans, and uh, that's what I'm on about, but it looks like it can happen without me having to do anything. So, you kids have fun, I'm going to hang out here.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm going to keep learning how to plant. And I mean, the X-Men do that in the comics all the time, right? Where they're like, hey, the Avengers are dealing with something, but doesn't have anything to do with mutants, so we're just going to sit back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there there are plenty of times in the comics where characters, for one reason or another, whether it's something selfish or something pragmatic, go, well, this doesn't concern me. So I hope the world doesn't end, but I'm going to sit this one out.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would, it would kind of be... Um, like, I've, I've been wondering how the MCU is going to handle introducing the X-Men, you know, into, into the fold, into the continuity, um, because it would be hard to believe that they are around when all of this, you know world-ending events are happening and they don't lend a hand. Um, but that is fair to say, you know, it's it's sort of like Captain Marvel in um, Endgame where they kind of are, you know, they're questioning her why she's not on Earth helping. And she is like, the snap affected everywhere. Like, she is looking out for something else that is not, you know, pertinent to, to what's happening on Earth. Yeah. The... Charles Xavier you can maybe excuse away some of the things he might have been absent for because his you know most important goal first you know first and foremost is to make sure that his kids are safe are taken care of yeah uh, that they're not being prosecuted by the world that they're that they're being educated and that their gifts are being you know are going to flourish so I could kind of buy that he's basically just been at the school. You know, that doesn't excuse why he wouldn't have lended a hand during Infinity War or Endgame or whatever else. Um, but that is a good point.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it's going to just depend on A, how good the writing is, and B, what age range they decide to cast the X-Men as. Yeah. Because you if you cast them all, you know, mid-teens to early 20s, yeah, you can easily go with Professor X saw a bunch of portals opening up to a gigantic battle against an, an alien army after after the snap was undone and thought, yeah, these are kids, I'm not putting them into that. Yeah. And also, we do we do have the easy out, for lack of a better way to put it, that everything we've seen so far in terms of people's abilities in the MCU is to some extent manufactured.
2: Um,
0: So it's easy enough for, for professor X to go, look, people love Spider-Man, but they also, whether they know the details or not, know that he's a normal kid who got those abilities. We represent a new species. Yeah, you know we represent something. You know we we don't represent. Keep your spiders in better cages. We represent. <laughs> we represent. We are genetically superior to all of you. Deal with it. Yeah. So it's easy enough for them to kind of write their background mentality into it. Uh, just how much they can use depends on age ranges that they go for characters.
2: Yeah. So, well, so what are your thoughts on on the first? It's like sort of X Men film or series of films.
0: Well, let me proceed. I I got heavily tainted on on how I viewed this stuff because of my father. My father. Literally, I was telling Monty before we started recording. My dad was reading X Men from the second they released issue one. Uh, you know, this is you know this is one of, one of his main comic books. He came out of X Two determined never to have to suffer through another twentieth century Fox X Men film ever again. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter how much the rest of the world likes those two movies, those first two <coughs> movies, after watching those, he gave up on the franchise
2: yep
0: um so first and foremost, that to me like one, I lived with him like having me read the x men comics and explaining to me all the issues and and so on and so forth um But to me, it just speaks volumes to any sort of loyalty that these movies have ever had to the comics. Um, And they've they've been very open that they picked X-Men based off of what powers they thought would be cool, more so than anything else. Yeah. So, you know. But, I mean... I, I, I have to start with my big rule breaker and it's... It's not a surprise but my big rule breaker is there's never any Wolverine. Just get him out of everything. His three movies, gone. Every appearance from him in every single other movie, gone. Just get rid of him. Um, I... I think the majority of the issues that these movies have can be related back to the fact that they made it Wolverine featuring some X-Men. Yeah. That's what these movies have been. The major overarching storyline in the original trilogy is... Wolverine's feelings for Jean Grey. There is no other character continuity. There is no other overarching theme. There's no nothing in those first three movies, except for Wolverine wants to bone Jean Grey. (laughs) Um, And I think the, I think getting rid of him it gives you a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, you get some, some more challenge, you know, the, the, the battles are more challenging for these characters. Cause he's very much a Superman type character of, of you just sitting there going, okay, well just send him Wolverine. He'll take care of it in like five minutes. Yep. Um, you know, I, for one, With X Men, with the second X Men movie, get rid of Wolverine and give me Lady Deathstrike versus Nightcrawler. That's a fight worth watching. Because right, like, I remember when that fight initially, when that movie initially came out, that fight was considered awesome and amazing. I look back at it now and I go, it's literally just the two of them like swinging at each other while basically social distancing (laughs) and just, and just like, I'm going to swipe at you. Ha, I'm healed. I'm going to swipe at you. Ha, I'm healed. Like (laughs) it's hilarious because the fight was done better. Either before, I can't remember years, years, your placement on everything. But that that fight was done better when it was Jack Sparrow versus Barbosa in the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Where they even at one point acknowledge, like, look, we're both immortal, we're just gonna be doing this till the end of time. I mean, <laughs> they it's the exact same fight. Two people that are so equally matched and hard to defeat that just swinging fists is the least creative thing that you can possibly have them do. Yeah. But at least there was some visual excitement that came with the Barbosa Sparrow fight. Plus they knew to, you know, cut away from it every now and then instead of leaving it as the main focus. Um, but in turn, but like, the amount... James... We're, we're never going to get a better Cyclops, in my opinion, than than James Marston.
2: James Marston, yeah.
0: He was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of going for like comic book accurate depiction, he was on point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the amount that we could have given him to do in that original trilogy... If he didn't, if he wasn't literally there just to be the '80s douchey jock to Wolverine, yeah, just he could have had so much more to do, and you could have even, you know, you could have gone for, you know, instead of killing him, just taking his powers away when uh, at the beginning of the Last Stand. So that way, for the, you know the rest of the movie, he's dealing with that. Like, well, now I'm now I feel basically useless because I don't have my powers. Yeah. Um, so you could you know deal with all sorts of. It just it's one of those things where you get rid of Wolverine and the doors open so wide for what is possible in this it also, franchise. It also.
2: It also doesn't change much of the first two films, honestly. No. You know, other other than his you know, kind of showpiece fights, you know, other than his fight with Sabretooth, uh, you know, like, we are led to believe that he is the key, he's the thing that Magneto's looking for, um, but it's actually Rogue, and you can kind of eliminate him from the film, and not much changes. Uh, yeah. I, I do not I like Hugh Jackman. I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, mm-hmm. um, especially in the, I like him in the first film because they did not make him pretty. Like he has, he, yeah. and by no means is he unattractive. He's proud he's <laughs> or, or you yeah. know, he's Hugh Jackman. He's, he's, <laughs> you know, he's stunning, but like, you know, they, they, let him have body hair and his beard looks like shit and his hair looks like shit. And he's practically got a unibrow. Like that is what Wolverine should look like. They never should have dolled him up as much as they did. He shouldn't have been this cut fucking Adonis in in the Wolverine. Um, So, you know, he, they betray his character a lot of the time in the first X-Men film because they wanted to say something that sounds cool. When, if they're being true to the character, he wouldn't say anything or he dismiss it or whatever. But you know, when him and rogue are sitting in the car together and she turns to him and she's like, does it hurt when they come out? And he goes every time, like, I don't believe that that Wolverine who's so introverted, who, who doesn't open up to people, who isn't a team player, who doesn't want this fucking kid in his car. He's not going to open up to her. And that feels like a betrayal of the character or the, the, the character they're trying to present or whatever.
0: Well, and I think it's also how you present that, because you give me a Wolverine that doesn't give her eye contact, smiles a little bit with the cigar in his mouth, you know, close, you know closing his eyes like he's trying to get some shut eye, and then he just kind of casually says that with a little grin on his face, then I'll buy it. Yeah. But yeah, you give me, you know, the rock ballad is about to start. Version of, of Wolverine that we had every single time he had something dramatic to say, and yeah, it's just not believable. Um, yeah, I think one of the one of the other big issues with with these movies, and I really, really, really noticed it with um, with McAvoy, uh, in in Wolf- filling the gaps of the movies that I had missed, is you know as Monty pointed out the you know these were an analogy of sorts to the civil rights movement. Um, and it feels almost ironic that that's what they were just because then you get to, especially the McAvoy films and he's literally smugging around like he's the white savior in the help or something like that. Even though there's, basically no one of color around him for him to be saved, being the savior for. But because they're just kind of abandoning all the symbolism that the X-Men represent, he just kind of becomes the sort of person that he was written to not be. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they—they they very much needed to tell McAvoy that not everything needs to be said condescendingly. Not every, just because you're talking to a woman does not mean you need to be <laughs> mansplaining to her. Because um, I feel like almost every single one of the movies, especially First Class, First Class, really does not respect a single one of the women in the movie. Um almost every single one of them for some reason has to let you know that she really, really needs you to know that she has breasts. Um, <laughs> th- they pretty much all have almost no motivation whatsoever for anything. Um, the Maura McTaggart's is one of the only ones that seems like she should have depth and she's an incredibly flat character, but, it, yeah, th- just having having the Professor X be a little bit more likable, <laughs> a little less white saviory, I think would would help these movies out a lot. Uh, I think it also would have been great if somebody had pulled Michael Fassbender aside during these movies and said, "Look, your character talks about how your powers work when you get angry. You." you haven't changed your facial expression from I'm I fucking the camera the whole time we've made this movie. <laughs> Basically your powers either work actually when you're horny for yourself or whenever, because angry we have not gotten yet. <laughs> um, and, and part of it is the fact that, yeah, we keep resetting his character every single movie. Yeah, but it's also just there have been enough Michael Fassbender movies out there in the world for us to to go. Oh no, he just he's just eye fucking the camera. Um, it's just what he does. <laughs> that's his. That's his, That's his emotional depth that he brings to every single role. I know. I know. I'm not in the the majority on that one. Um, you know, I, but. I
2: think I mean, I think that he just he his biggest problem is you know, as an actor, is he's picked a lot of projects that seemed promising, you know, when he was getting very, very successful, and they all kind of turned out to be not you know, not the thing he needed or, or not a project that really took him anywhere you know with prometheus and then alien covenant and then the x-men films not doing particularly well after first you know i mean you can include days of future past you know it probably performed okay but you know we we're not the biggest fans of it tom and i Mm -hmm. um and then you know assassin's creed like just these these weird projects that he's picked that have kind of diminished his um you know quality as as an actor um or how he's perceived but we we talked mostly about the, you know, initial trilogy of films. I'd like to hear Monty's thoughts on the latter half, you know, with starting with First Class or if you want to talk about some of the sort of spin-off films with uh, Wolverine or Logan or even Deadpool or whatever it
1: might be. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sorry that you don't like First Class, Tom. I love First Class. I love First Class. Uh, I love I can, first class. Yes, it's Twitter, my, Twitter, Twitter, see Twitter see.
0: let me know just how much of the minority i am on that one
1: <laughs> i mean You're I in the minority. <laughs> yeah i can definitely see your complaints with the the women characters i don't think that's anything that any of these movies do particularly well sure. which is something that could certainly be fixed going forward um the thing that i really like about x-men first class is that it has the energy and the comic book feel that a lot of those original films don't and i there is some merit i think to the x-men and x2 style and that matrixy-esque style um i think it aged really poorly but we do have to remember that these films are some of the very first superhero films in the kind of modern day superhero thing so it kind of opened up people to take these films a little more seriously than they were taking them with superman and things like that so i don't i don't despise those styles even though yeah you watch x-men now and it's like wow, this looks terrible. It looks kind of like, uh, you know, (laughs) excuse me, a Hot Topic or some sort of emo punk band sort of thing. But so what I really like about X-Men First Class is that it sort of gets back to these characters are supposed to be having fun, or if they're not having fun, we're at least supposed to be having fun. And I really love especially the montage that has that, Wolverine go fuck yourself moment where you just get to see people playing with their powers Um, I think that's one thing that separates the X-Men from the Avengers and a lot of the other like even the DCU and stuff is that a lot of these characters have powers that are not just he big he strong or he run fast you know like some of these characters are Cyclops he shoots lasers out of his eyes and that's it Um, but there's some really cool things that you can do with that and like as awful as X-Men Origins Wolverine is it's really badass the scene when Cyclops loses control for the first time in school and it just tears a hole through the wind uh, through the school and I mean I know that's again talking about continuity issues that's not how his lasers work in the original films and all of that but but still so like the visualization of these powers the playing around with these powers I really like seeing havoc I like seeing um, <laughs> magneto pushing um, Banshee off the the cliff of the satellite tower thing so that he has to learn how to fly um using echolocation to with xavier's telekinesis powers to get the location of the ship that stuff is just fucking cool and i wish that the series had more of that like integrating powers working together teamwork kind of stuff and i think that's what makes first class feel like a lived in film um i can't say it works as well in the other films in that trilogy and i think that is just a byproduct of them kind of trying to one-up themselves um for some reason with apocalypse they decided to get an incredibly talented actor and then put him in a blue rubber suit and give him no lines of dialogue no idea why they did that that was a huge mistake but if oscar isaacs had a ideology or we knew why he was doing this or whatever and we understood why the um the four horsemen were coming with him instead of just like kind of being in the right place at the right time. Like really one of your horsemen is a dude who can fly. That's, that's his, (laughs) that's his apocalyptic power. So I, I just, I wish that these films just carried that momentum from the first class. And I think a lot of that is probably because Matthew Vaughn Breathed fresh air into this franchise. Um, I actually like Days of Future Past more than it seems like you guys do, but again, I think the action scenes in that film really, really choppy. It feels like Ryan Singer has no idea how to move characters kinetically in a scene. No. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That's my defense of First Class.
0: Yeah. Well, and the the thing that First Class has above all, basically the rest of the films, like. Love it or hate it, a lot of the issues with Last Stand were ones it inherited. It inherited a franchise where no character had any development. It inherited a franchise where you couldn't have one of your characters come back unless she became Dark Phoenix. You you know he inherited a franchise where one of his main actors told everyone give me a bigger role or I'm not doing your mo- I'm not doing this movie at the height of her career where you needed Halle Berry to be there yep. you know last last stand inherited a a mess from Brian Singer and that's what he's done pretty much with this you know he did it with both times that they went into doing Phoenix is he came in trashed the place and then ran out of the room before <laughs> anyone asked him to clean it up um, you know and and I mean Days of Future the, the biggest issue with Days of Future Past it is clearly written with the primary importance to be I want to erase as much of the two movies that I didn't make as possible. So that way it goes yeah. back to being my franchise. You yeah. know, we kill off every single character we can from first class. We, you know, we, ba- we, we undo without any good explanation to it. The events of last stand.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and leave the whole franchise at a point of you know when because did I think Alex I think you and I saw Logan together uh,
2: Probably uh, no and, I don't I don't know that I saw it in theaters but regardless
0: <laughs> but I literally sat there that whole movie going if there was any, consistency in our understanding of the timelines and which Logan I'm looking at right now, then this might hold emotional weight for me, but I don't know what this Logan has been through because we're not establishing if he's the one that at the end of days of future past got to go into the happiest timeline where everyone was still alive or if we're getting the Logan who was, tortured in Apocalypse and escaped I don't know which one I'm dealing with right now so I don't know I like none of what's going on here has any weight to me as a result yeah so now um the 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 one section of this that hasn't really gotten talked about and for good reason is the Deadpool movies uh I I think it's safe to say that being forced to let people make <laughs> a good movie was uh, was what led Twentieth Century Fox to stumbling into the <laughs> the Deadpool franchise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know for myself, I only really have one adjustment that I would have liked to have seen, and it doesn't even have to be a gigantic change of script and it's literally just, I would have liked to have seen with the second Deadpool that instead of killing the girlfriend at the beginning, have her break up with him because it turns out he doesn't want kids. But then because she's become sort of a cohort of his and become a, a hit, you know, a hitman in her own right, he's still kind of having to work with her throughout the movie so we're getting her really getting to do stuff and then as you know, and then have her die like at the end of the second act to give Cable a little bit more of a reason to start empathizing and wanna team up with Deadpool in the third act, and then you still justify having the whole time travel thing at the at the end during the end credits. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Yeah, I don't there's... really have much problem with either of these movies. It is interesting to think, like, if we go back and fix Last Stand or Origins, Wolverine, like, do we even get anything as close to as unique and interesting as Deadpool and Deadpool Two? And then, if we don't prove with these films that R-rated superhero films work, do we get Oscar winner Joker or do we get? Um, you know Logan. Logan. I I, yeah. I don't know. So it it's interesting, but um, I don't know. These films are are perfectly fine for me. So, but I, mean, I, I agree. Yeah. I don't know why they chose to fridge the wife at the beginning of Deadpool two. That's stupid. Yeah, I've, I I I feel like they thought they had
2: something so clever. And I mean I mean I like this film. I'm not trying to like you know spit on it or anything. But like the opening credits basically just like playing on the fact of like oh did you, did you see that coming like I can't believe you yeah. killed the girl like, <laughs> that was obvious like we were going to do obviously we we're going to do that like that was funny in the moment but on a second viewing or something I'm like it kind of feels like you killed her just so you can make this joke and it's not <laughs> as good as you think it is and yeah. <laughs> and then like we get the bit at the end and it seemed like it was going to be sappy and then it's not it's kind of weird but um but yeah, there's very few problems other than that that I have with the Deadpool films. But, you know, like we've like we've said, and like you just said, you know, I don't think we get the, you know, Deadpool 1 or 2 without the, you know, botched shit show that was uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Because um, I think uh, Ryan Reynolds, you know, really had an affinity for this character, and that's probably why he signed on for X-Men Origins Wolverine, and he, <laughs> it wasn't what he probably expected it to be. And, and, you know, <laughs> who who, knows who released that, that footage online of the, you know, the test footage of, of the first Deadpool. But I mean, I would not be shocked to learn years later that it was Ryan Reynolds who was like, I'm going to put this footage out and I'm going to get enough groundswell behind it. Then we're going to make it into something. Yeah. Um,
0: I I feel like whether it was him or the director or I forget who the third person was that it could have been. I feel like whoever it was has a calendar at their house or like a countdown (laughs) clock in their house. That's counting down the statute of limitation of being able to be charged. (laughs) And literally the second it hits, it's going to be like three, two, one. I did it. It was me. Uh, I look forward to that. That'll be. Yeah, it's always fun whenever they get asked about it because they're they're so happy to piss twentieth century fox off by denying it. Yeah,
2: it it feels almost in a way like you know when when sony pu- puts out a big you know list of of potential spider man films that they're gonna make and they're gonna make a black and silver that has silver
0: sable and, and black cat and they're gonna or make north korea. A fucking, leaks it. Yeah, they're going they're going
2: to make all these all these different uh Sony Spider-Man films and they don't make any of them and they end up making Venom and they're going to make Morbius. It feels like Fox did that with X-Men films and no one yeah. like they they just never were told no.
1: Yeah. They're like,
2: "Well, this is like we're not, you know, this is our bread and butter basically because we can't get you know Fantastic Four off the ground, so this is what we're going to do." Everything that we plan out is going to be rushed into production, and you know it doesn't feel like it, you, they they stopped caring about continuity as basically as soon as um, first class started. And I don't know, I don't know necessarily if, if X Men First Class was supposed to be part of the same franchise. You know, it, it ended up becoming integrated with it uh, through Days of Future Past, but I wonder if we could have had a complete. Refresh. This is a brand new story. This is brand new characters. Um, you know, they don't interact with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. They don't interact with uh, Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier. They don't interact with anyone from the original films. Um, but you know, I really enjoy First Class. I really enjoyed the characters that they introduced. Um, I even thought, you know, I don't know necessarily if it's comics accurate. I don't know if people who are, you know, intimately familiar with the comics enjoyed Raven, basically being, uh, brought up alongside Charles Xavier or being raised by him to some extent. Um, but you know, that's not anything that really bothered me. I liked their chemistry in that first film. Um, the woman character characters in this franchise as a whole, don't have a lot to do. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you're Jennifer Lawrence at, you know, what is essentially the height of your career. So they have to make kind of every movie about you.
0: Um, but even, even with days of future past, her job is to basically yell and cry at everyone to just let her kill (laughs) Peter Dinklage already.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I meant more so. Um, I think her role is a little bit bigger in, in apocalypse and, and, uh, dark Phoenix. Um, and obviously Jean Jean gray has a, larger role in, in dark Phoenix. Um, but I think first class works so well because the characters are so new, so fresh. We get the familiarity from, um, you know, Charles Xavier and, uh, Magneto in their sort of relationship and where they come together and where their ideas are different and where they clash with each other. Um, but I do love everyone's, uh, chemistry with one another um, I really liked uh, Darwin and, and Havoc and Banshee, and the, you know all, all of these characters played very well together. Um, Monty, I liked your point about you know these these are characters who have a very very particular set of skills. Like they yeah. They, yeah. they are Liam Neeson and Taken. They have, like they are one they can only do one thing, and it's how you allow those characters to interact and play off each other and work with each other or against one another that is so interesting in these films and I think First Class does a really good job of it. Um I think Days of Future Past you know, sort of you know, it betrays all that because we return to a lot of the same characters, a lot of the same tropes. I feel like everyone's written a little bit worse. Um Raven's job is just to kill uh, um, Peter Dinklage. I can't remember his name in the in the film, but you know that's her that's his one or sorry that's her one goal. And um, Magneto, and you know, especially in the latter half of the franchise, you know, I can kind of see why his allegiance flips or why he works with Charles at certain times in the initial trilogy. God, the the latter half is just a fucking mess. Like he, he goes from wanting to work with Charles, but then he understands that his tactics maybe have to be more extreme. So that's why they're at odds with each other at the end of first class. But you know, then it's, he's in love with Raven in first class and he wants to take, take her under his wing. Um, You know, but then she's become too corrupt and she's going to, threaten the mutant way of life so he has to kill her and that's why he sends a bullet after her as she jumps out the window and you know then he you know it, Apocalypse is kind of all over the place I don't really even remember where his allegiance falls you know he has the he has the family but then they get killed and then he just wants to take it out in the world but you know he has to join them because Apocalypse is going to fuck too much shit up so he joins them in trying to kill him you know in killing him at the end and then you know, with Dark Phoenix, he he has his compound, and the latter, you know, these last couple films, I think there is no, there's very few problems in its ideas, in its potential. It's all about execution. It does not execute anything as as well as it thinks it does. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a couple standout scenes. We have the Quicksilver scenes that everyone talks about. We have. um, you know, pretty pretty great chemistry between uh, McAvoy and Fassbender. You know, there's there's things to enjoy in the later films, but um, the way people change, and I feel like Charles Xavier. You know, as much as I like James McAvoy in parts, uh, you know, as Professor X, he he gets insufferable at times. I feel yeah. like he's written worse and worse. You know, as the films go on, and by Dirk Phoenix, it's. He's such a just nothing character. I mean, I actually, I thought it was sort of interesting his, um, his mindset of we have to be these superheroes so that society accepts us. I thought that was an interesting idea, but they just play him as an asshole the entire time. They never let up. They never give him the, you know, a change in perspective until you know, Hank's yelling at him and he's like, just, just tell it, just say you're wrong. Just say you're wrong. And then he admits it, you know, when they're on the, on the train or on the, wherever they're at. Yeah. And it just, it was so lazy and, you know, Dark Phoenix had a lot of good ideas and, uh, and a lot of scenes that like, I genuinely sort of enjoyed, but it was, nothing was executed particularly well. And it just became just another, um, unsatisfying, you know, story at the, by the end of it, you know, I, uh, <laughs> my, my favorite part of, of, uh, of Dark Phoenix, I think was getting drunk and, um, going, oh, that's Dazzler whenever they're <laughs> at the, uh, at the bonfire, like that's, that's probably my favorite part.
0: So <laughs> see for me, it's, it, for me, it was, um, Nightcrawler's rage moment mm. in the, in the train, yeah. Because that, that was like, okay, where has stuff like this been in these movies?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know we were allowed to say good things about Dark Phoenix. Um, there are a couple <laughs> things I agree with you that are <laughs> solid about Dark Phoenix. Um, going back to, like, the, the, the playing with powers in a cool way, I think Dark Phoenix actually kind of does that a couple times. Um, like, as silly as the space scene is, they have to use the powers that they have mm-hmm. to solve that problem right so it's get nightcrawler in here but also you have to i don't exactly remember it i saw it once Uh, i paid to see that in theaters for some reason and um you know they, they have to get him in there but he can't see where he's going so they have to open up the ship and then close it before it runs out of um you know oxygen and all of this stuff like there's some exploration there and interesting stuff i think a lot of the problems that we're getting at though come like what you're saying Tom with inheriting those problems from other films and like the dark Phoenix thing just doesn't work because we don't care at all about Jean gray. Like as much as Sophie Turner is a fairly good actress, um, we don't know who she is as Jean gray and she has never once been a character of any importance. So like when she's struggling with these things, you're like, I, this means nothing to me. Um, and then of course they killed Jennifer Lawrence instantly in that movie too. So, um, which I'm guessing guess was a request. She was done. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I, I have to imagine that that was a request for her to just go, you know yeah. what? I, this has not really been great for my career. Yeah. <laughs> making red sparrow has been better for my career than <laughs> making these sequels. So, uh, yeah, find a way to kill me off.
2: It, it felt like there was a, coin flip between who was going to die, her uh, Professor X, and they're
1: like, well, we did Professor X last time, so <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're up. The uh, The Professor X being an asshole thing, I think, would have worked a lot more if older Professor X was more of an asshole towards the end of those last films. Because I mm-hmm. do like the idea of Charles more or less doing what he thinks is best for Jean Grey, even if she has no agency in it. And there is something compelling, again, with that, given, I mean, you know, the problems with this franchise and most superhero franchises as a whole of, like, what they do with their female characters. There's something interesting about Charles being like, no, I I know I'm right because I'm right, I'm smart, Um, and you're just a foolish girl. And There's something interesting there, but I agree that it doesn't quite work with this aged Charles and with McAvoy's performance. Yeah. And, and
2: maybe this is me projecting on the film, but even though I don't particularly like, or, you know, I don't have an affinity for, for the original X-Men trilogy. You know, i I watched them each one. I watched maybe once or twice in passing very soon after they came out. Um, but you know, I. James Morrison to me is Cyclops. You know, Halle Berry is Storm. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Like these, the younger version of, of these characters, I don't like. And I don't know if it's because I'm maybe older than these characters now. And the, the, what used to be heroes I would look up to or be sympathizing in a way with, I'm looking at now as like snot nose kids who (laughs) have way more power than they have any right to have. And like, like this version of Phoenix is so much more powerful than the original one, but in ways we don't understand because it's never, you know, laid out to us what her abilities are. why You know what she's able to do, where, where the cap is for her, for her abilities. Um, you know, there, there's aspects of Dark Phoenix, and I keep talking about this one because this is the one i watched most recently. Um, Apocalypse, I haven't watched since, basically, it came out. Um, but, like, there's... Again, there's there's nothing wrong with the ideas in this film. It's, it's all about execution. I don't understand why we introduced these alien creatures, and I don't... Like I said before, I don't have, you know, knowledge of the comics. I don't know if they're a threat that have been there before, but the reason we enjoy or appreciate the original X-Men trilogy is because we like Magneto because we like members of the Brotherhood of Mutants. we We like the, you know, the conflict between the two. That's why we like Civil War because we are intimately familiar with everyone. On either side of this conflict, with this, we—it's a alien race that is completely disposable. It's more disposable than the fucking, you know, robot army from Age of Ultron. Like it's—it's it's, yeah. they're cannon fodder. It's—it's it's just,
0: it's, um, yeah. It's—it's it's an alien—it's an alien army that is that does not believe in having any sort of emotion towards anything, which is just <laughs> ne- like it's one thing when you do. Something like Robert Patrick in T- as the T-1000, where we've established these kinds of motionless villains to where you get someone like that, it's scary. Um, but when you go, and our villain is Jessica Chastain, refusing to emote.
1: Yeah, why? <laughs> uh, my, my response why is... Why get her and not let her act?
0: <laughs> for me, it was just like okay. I I sat through that for at least half of the second it movie. So yeah, sure, I want to watch that for an entire movie now. Um, but yeah, it was just so it, like yeah. They're they're just they, we hadn't established any of these characters as compelling. Um, the only I'd say the only X Men that is written. Anywhere close to equal to their original trilogy counterpart is Nightcrawler. Mm. Yeah. Uh, second place is Storm, and then the rest of them are, are shit.
1: Um, I like Beast to an extent. I think uh, he's interesting, but yeah, the makeup I, is a little wonky. I don't know why it looks so much better in Last Stand than it does in
0: yeah, uh, Days of
1: Future Past, I'll say.
0: Yeah, beyond the fact that they... That, Last Stand was one of the first instances of holy shit that actually worked casting with Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the the makeup prosthetic work in that movie is light years better than what we got in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Well, any of the movies. Um, Yeah. But the first class, I I just kept laughing whenever he talked in the beast makeup because it was like, the the old joke of a dubbed Japanese film, where <laughs> there's such an intense amount of no sync up. What's it like? It's just, like you almost want there to be a little flashing thing that says ADR when he's talking in the in the beast. Because it, it's it just feels so also nice. like
2: he. Um you know he's a very thin actor, and it felt like Kelsey Grammer maybe filled out that makeup a little bit more. Oh yeah, you know yeah. because even yeah. if not, even if he's not in beast mode, even if he's not in combat or whatever, you want it to look intimidating. I mean, he's still his frame; he's still very slender.
0: Yeah, and he
2: just is now blue and has a chin strap.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, but beyond that he just he gave such a like Kel- Kelsey Grammer i think is probably the thing that people agree on the most in the positive column for last stand mm. um and it's yeah it just there there was something about his performance that just clicked that it it took them a while to to make it really work with with the revamp yep um, although I will say nothing in in the last stand will ever beat the weird water ski run that Ben Foster does to run out the window in that movie. <laughs> Like I don't know, like, any anyone who has the ability to watch his, like, escaping from his father scene in Last Stand again, I will never forget the weird run he does in that movie. It's like he's rollerblading or something. <laughs> uh, to the point where my friends and I loved that run so much that if we saw each other on opposite ends of the hallway at our high school... We would run to each other in that exact same manner, no matter how full the hallway was, just to amuse ourselves. Uh, Yeah, Monty, do you have uh, any any more fixes, adjustments, ideas for for how to improve? They could have improved the the Fox X Men.
1: Well, I got to get my six bucks worth and just talk really quick about new mutants. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was such a cool premise for a movie and I really liked the setup. I think as we get more and more of these superhero films, putting characters and superheroes or people with powers in these unique setups is a really good way to keep that genre fresh um, the powers in these, like we keep talking about, are unique and they've got a very particular set of powers that are kind of fun to explore. Um, it's just that this film is a mess, and I think ultimately, like, we keep trying to fix some of these films, but at a, a certain point, like, some of these movies are just bad. And, you know, I mean, we can definitely fix X Men, X 2, to an extent, X 3, but there are, you know, we, for a good reason did not talk at all about X-Men origin Wolverine because you can't fix that movie. It's just bad. And I think this one is similar is it's just the dialogue. So sloppy. The film feels like it was edited and is currently being held together by masking tape, Um, not even duct tape, masking tape. And so you just need to fix the script in this. But um, I mean, I do like the idea of them kind of picking pockets of this universe because the idea of having a universe filled with 1% mutants, that's really cool. Um, And Mm -hmm. you can have mutants in a horror film, and you can have mutants in a heist film, or whatever you want to do. So, yeah, really bummed about this movie, but also, um, you know, 20-ish minutes before the end of this movie, a giant demon bear comes out. And it's freaking awesome, so I'm I'm glad I paid the six bucks at
0: least. So yes. I don't know if
1: I would have done it without this podcast. So I thank you, Tom, for the invite.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> anyone anyone who has not had a chance to go over to uh, the movie marathoner's Twitter feed, uh, Monty made a an absolutely amazing <laughs> graph to represent his enjoyment of of New Mutants, which. I I feel like could become your new niche. Just every single movie that you do, you just have one of these graphs that shows when you drastically became more interested in the film.
1: I'm putting that engineering degree to good work.
0: There you go. <laughs> Thanks uh, to you. <laughs> uh, Alex, do you have any other, any other fixes, any other things that you would do to, to improve?
2: um, yeah, I mean, like you know, as as you said, your your one major change would be to to take Wolverine out of the franchise entirely. You know, I would I would probably scale him back, you know, particularly in the in the original trilogy. And like I said, I would maybe pull uh, Magneto back, especially from the first film. Um, I kind of would do that with with uh, Jennifer Lawrence in the in the later films. I really liked her involvement. Um, you know, in, uh, in first class. Um, I like a lot of that movie as I've said before. Um, but there, there was so many other people that we could have chose to follow, um, to be this assassin, you know, it felt like we need to write this film around Jennifer Lawrence because she needs to be the one to assassinate, um, this person to, you know, put the Sentinel program into effect because she is Jennifer Lawrence and she's a, you know, more or less the peak of her career. Um, yeah. And we wrote a lot of uh, days of future past around her. We wrote a good bit of apocalypse around her. Um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest problem with the latter half of the franchise is rather than introducing fresh faces we wanted to recast x-men 1 and x2 um i think it would have benefited the franchise tremendously to focus on havoc to focus on banshee to focus on you know any number of of characters that we have haven't touched in this franchise you know jubilee or dazzler or you know and I'm, I'm just picking names at random basically but there's so many characters we could have focused on
0: you're not, I, you're I love not picking dazzler at random I, don't kid yourself sorry you're not picking dazzler at random don't don't lie
2: <laughs> no i'm picking dazzler because i just watched dark phoenix and i was like oh shit there's dazzler um <laughs> no but i you know I loved Havoc in the in first class. I loved uh, um, Darwin in first class. I loved Emma Frost in first class. You know there was, um, as his name Uh, Ezekiel, you know who was basically Nightcrawler. Like these characters were cool and sorry, Ezreal. Gotcha. Yes, Azrael. Like these characters were cool and interesting and new and different than what we had seen before. And you know they were similar in ways. You know Emma Frost is basically colossus that can turn into diamonds rather than metal and um you know uh is basically nightcrawler you know havoc is basically cyclops but they're different enough you know they um they they were just a breath of fresh air basically um and their powers were were incredibly cool especially like banshee you know monty had mentioned that scene that i kind of forgot about until now but when he's going down the the satellite dish and and finally gets it, you know, you know, and he finally screams and takes off like that. That was exhilarating, you know. Um, it's their first class, especially, is filled with moments like that. And I think we really deprived the series of more moments like that when we choose to reintroduce um, Storm and reintrodu- reintroduce Jean Grey and reintroduce Cyclops as these characters who are less compelling than their original trilogy counterparts. And we're going to spend most of the time focusing on Jennifer Lawrence and James McAvoy and and Hugh Jackman anyway. So, um, you know, to, to pull focus away from them and to introduce new characters is what I think would have benefited the latter half of the franchise, especially co-signed.
0: Yep. Agreed. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just have one last thing, tiny little thing, but it it's bugged me for years. Do you know what happens when a frog gets struck by lightning?
2: <laughs> Same thing that happens to everything else. No.
0: No, see? You got it wrong. You got it wrong like they did. Do you know what happens when you when a frog gets struck by lightning? Strike him with the lightning, he flies off For some reason in my head, I always imagine that when he hits the boat and dies, there's an explosion. Whether or not there is, there should be. Um, So he flies off, dies, then you cut back to her, the same thing that happens to everyone else. There, you fixed that bit. Now it doesn't sound stupid. You've said
2: that to me before. And I think that would be brilliant. And that was actually a problem with, if I'm remembering correctly, and this could be trivia that, I either made up is, or is completely false, but Toad was supposed to uh, basically say that at, at, like throughout the film. like Before he attacked someone, or before he you know, would, would fuck with someone or whatever it might be, he would say, oh, you know what happens to blah, 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 whenever blah, blah, blah. And then she delivers that line at the end as a, I'm going to turn your line on its head. But they never show a scene where he says <laughs> anything like that. And then it's just it's just lost to time as to why the hell she says that.
0: Yeah, because for some reason people hear Ray Parks' voice, which is awesome. <laughs> for some re- reason, people hear his voice and go, "Nah, Nah. No. Let's let's <laughs> Shut get, up and spin the lightsaber. Let's let's get the guy who does sassy Trump to be to be the voice of Darth Maul. <laughs> All right, so uh, obviously, yes, we're all very excited because uh, X Men are going to be, at some point, coming to the MCU. We do not know when, uh, but until they do, we can speculate, as we do, as we enjoy, uh, and with that comes the obligatory, trying to cast this kind of stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that now, Monty. We're gonna let you start again with your. Your dream X-Men cast.
1: All right. So um, I don't know if this was ever remotely verified as true, but I heard that from some random source that the MCU was considering instead of making Magneto and Xavier um, old white dudes, they were planning on making them, older African-American men Mm -hmm. who were kind of brought up during the civil rights era. And I think that makes a lot of sense because it's 2020, which means that if Magneto is a survivor of the Holocaust, he is pushing 90, um, which is just (laughs) difficult to cast for, um, regardless of his mutant genes. So I have two casts for uh, Magneto and Xavier. One, if they go the old traditional... Keep it similar to the comics route, and I have Charles Dance as Magneto, and then Sam Neill as Xavier. But the ones that I'm really interested are the ones that I'm really interested in are the idea of breathing fresh life into this story, and not just doing the same exact thing that we saw before. So my Magneto is Denzel Washington, okay. and my Xavier is a bit unorthodox, but it's Tyler Perry. And oh. I think you know you need somebody who's around the same age as Denzel Washington, and the reason that I like Tyler Perry is that he can play dramatic, but he also has gentleness to him. He's he's not um, he's not as like badass as Denzel Washington, and I think Xavier needs that compassion. And I think if you look at Tyler Perry and like Gone Girl, for example, that's what I want from Xavier. So
0: um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah.
1: Can I, I think, uh, can I piggyback on that real quick? Yeah. Cause I, I, I thought the
2: same exact thing if they're casting Denzel Washington as Magneto, which we don't know. I just, I wanted to frame my casting around that, um, with, for, uh, Professor X, I went Lance Reddick. Oh, I like that too. Ooh, yeah. yeah.
1: But continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just off of that, um, again I had two castings for Wolverine because I think if we go with my first one we want Wolverine to be a main character but I don't really want him to be a main character again Um, but I also love the idea of John David Washington as Wolverine Um, my other option is as a side character and just as being a beefy kind of short dude staying out of the limelight don't need an amazing actor but somebody who can do the physicality of it um, again a weird choice but it's Zac Efron for that um, See, for I, Cyclops go ahead
0: I, I I, honestly could buy him for that role I could it's, mm-hmm. it's unorthodox like you said but he's shown enough of a strange amount of range to himself yeah. as an actor that I, I'm always willing to give him a chance
1: yeah so, and I always just love when a Disney Channel cast member ends up doing something interesting. So yeah. I think this would be a fun little chance for him. And again, if he's not a man character, it's not a huge deal. Um, for Cyclops, this is a little reductive because he plays a guy who shoots lasers from his eyes in something else. But I've got Yahya Abdul-Mateen as Cyclops. Um, for Jean Grey, I've got Vanessa Kirby. For Storm, I have Gugu Mbukala. for for Nightcrawler I've got Lakeith Stanfield uh Mystique I've got Julia Fox from Uncut Gems Iceman Nick Robinson Pyro another redemption chance for shooting somebody shooting fire out of himself uh Dev Patel so you know he gets a he gets a second chance after um Prince Zuko in that movie that definitely didn't actually happen.
0: Yes. And then I don't know what movie
1: just a couple about. last ones here. I've got Colossus as Henry Golding, Rogue as Elle Fanning, or I guess the other way around. Um, this is never going to happen, but I thought it might be fun. Cherchey Ronan as Kitty Pride, and then Jonathan Majors <laughs> as Sabretooth.
0: I like it. That's, that's a fun collection. I I, I cannot be upset with that collection. <laughs>
1: It's uh, it's a bit out there. It's um, I don't know, I, I, but I think it would be fun. And I think with this film series with the MCU, or that the MCU has a chance to push like push the envelope a little bit. And you know, they no longer need to bank on being amazingly accurate with the, their comic book depiction. And I guess they've never really done that. But I, I really do like the idea of letting people of color in these roles and um, really just explore that dynamic instead of just saying well it's a you know it's a reference to that even though they're all white characters you know i, I really think that it'd be interesting to see a bunch of people of color take on these characters
0: yeah i 100% agree i think like I, I know you talked about in your your episode that you did is like a one year anniversary of endgame um wanting to see the the MCU be less safe with a lot of what yeah, they do. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with ways that they could achieve that with your castings. So Alex, what Thank have you, you got for us?
2: All right. So I'm going to start with uh, two people that you had mentioned two actors that you had mentioned that I actually wrote down for different roles. Um, so I talked about uh, Denzel Washington as Magneto and uh, Lance Reddick as a uh, professor X. I actually put uh, LaKeith Sanfield as Angel, and mm. I put uh, Vanessa Kirby as Emma Stone. Um, I put... Uh, as Emma Imogen Stone? Poots, or Sorry, Emma Frost. <laughs> 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 I'm looking at a lot of names right now. Just cut me off, because there's there's probably 10, 10 picks right here. Um, uh, I picked uh, Imogen Poots as Rogue. Um, Alicia Vikander as Jean Grey. Um, Jack Quaid as Iceman, because I'm... Ooh, I like that. Mm. <laughs> I love the boys, and I think Jack Quaid needs more work. Um, especially something where he is not the screaming guy who's forced into shit that he doesn't want to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I put uh, Alden... Uh, eh, eh, sorry, I'm going to butcher his last name. Aaron Reich as Cyclops. The Mm -hmm. guy who played, uh, Han Solo in Solo.
0: Yeah. Um. I think it's Elden Rich, but I, I, we, we know my track record on this show for pronouncing (laughs) names, so I'm not gonna. Um,
2: I've got Bill Skarsgård for, uh, Nightcrawler. Oh, that's a good one. He's got the look, like the, the weird thing going on. Yeah. I basically was looking for long, lanky, kind of weird looking actors, um, and uh, I've got, like, two more. So Bill Hader for Beast, I think, would be really interesting. Because um, I think we need someone with comedy, because I th- with comedic chops, because I think um, the X-Men franchise has been more or less devoid of comedy. Um, they do it every once in a while, not always to um, the best... <laughs> <laughs> of their abilities, basically. Um, but for, for a couple random picks, I put, uh, Aquafina as Jubilee, because she's kind of the favorite for that. Ooh. And, uh, Monty, are you a, are you a wrestling fan? I am not. I'm sorry. Okay, so this, this might go over both your heads, but, uh, Daniel Bryan is, he's probably like 5'10 or so. He's, uh, he's the wrestler who screams yes, 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 chance, yes, chance, yes. Um, I, but I, he's sort of just like a short, hairy, stout, muscular dude and he, to my knowledge he has no acting fr- previous acting experience whatsoever uh, but I thought if to, we were going to pick anyone for Wolverine I think he <laughs> fits the look <laughs> and as someone who has virtually no prior acting experience other than hyping the crowd up in the ring I think it would be good to have him Basically, just off to the side, he doesn't get a lot of lines. He kind of just says "Bub" and smokes a cigar, and that's uh, that's what we do with him.
0: What's his uh, name again?
2: Uh, Brian. Uh, sorry, Daniel Bryan. Uh, Brian spelled with a Y. Um, and then I I put the obligatory if you're gonna uh, cast old white dudes as Professor X and Magneto, I thought uh, Ray Fiennes is Professor X and uh, Colin Firth is Magneto because. Mm. You can't go yeah.
0: wrong with either of them. Yeah. Oh, I like them. That's interesting. Um. All right. Well, I guess my turn. Um. Now, I have lots of free time having to try to keep myself up awake in the middle of the night. So, I admittedly also did my writer and director for mine. Um, oh, I did too. I, I, I. Oh, you did as well?
2: I, I, I did too. Let me jump in real quick. Okay. Yeah. I completely forgot that I did. So, like I said, this uh, this franchise has kind of been devoid of humor. Um, and to really inject some humor into it, I chose the director um, and writers of uh, the Lego Batman movie. It was directed by Chris McKay. And a uh, screenplay by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. Mm. Um, and they have also written Spider-Man Homecoming Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Spider-Man Far From Home, and they're expected to write the, or signed on to write the third Spider-Man film. So I feel like they would probably, that would be a good fit, keeping keeping it in the family of, uh, you know, MCU.
1: Nice. Mm -hmm. Nice.
0: Um, Yeah, I went a much different direction than that. Um, (laughs) Admittedly, when it came to, I I had kind of a tie, because I had two directors that I I thought would be perfect. Uh, One is if, as long as the creative differences didn't, didn't cause another breakup, um, get Ava DuVernay in, the director of, of Selma. Uh, I think she could be good, especially if you're going to try to make sure that the um, social commentary that exists within X-Men is properly inserted in there. Uh, my other choice was Rupert Wyatt he is the director of the escapist and rise of the planet of the apes. So he is, you know, doing stuff that's got ensemble and action to it is also up his alley. Um, and then for the writing, Paul Webb, who was co-writer for Selma and then whichever director would of of my two ended up getting it. Have them co-write with Paul Webb, as both of the directors often co-write the scripts they work on. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was what I had. All right. Now, in my mind, if if the MCU really wants to let people know that they're not getting more of the same with with X Men, what they have to do is they have to go back to issue one, page one. X Men team.
1: Make them all babies.
0: Um, X-Men babies. Yes, and make them babies. Um, I love that idea. Make them make it an animated kid show about uh, mutant babies. Yes. Um,
2: if I didn't sympathize with teens, I'm gonna love it whenever it's babies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can you can shoot lasers out of your eyes, but you can't use the toilet.
1: You're gonna get some uh, TikTok stars up there for you, uh, Tom. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: I'll find the I'll find the two halfwits that are shaving that shaved their teeth down to look like Christopher yeah, Walken in Sleepy Hollow. Um, anyway, um, so that's <laughs> that. No, it's that 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 was my baseline for my for my X Men. So it, for mine, it's Professor X. I have uh, Giancarlo Esposito because. I think he deserves doing something besides playing evil. And I think if you're going to have a guy who's sitting in a wheelchair, he has to be at least a little imposing just in his presence to actually make him seem like at least some sort of opposition against Magneto. Yep. Otherwise it just doesn't seem evenly matched. Um, for my Cyclops, I have Ashton Sanders who was in the Oscar winning film Moonlight? Uh, just a solid guy, solid, like he just and he just he has a just like you look at a picture of him and you go, yeah, he's got the like presence and stance of a of of a leader, reluctant or otherwise. Um, yeah. with Gene Grey I went with Jesse Buckley. Uh, I've been a fan. I've been a fan of her since the movie Beast came out, uh, and then she became popular with Wild Rose, the current season of Fargo, uh, that new Charlie Kaufman film. I can't remember what it's called, where she plays the girlfriend.
1: I'm thinking of ending things. That's it.
0: Um, I think she can give us both the like composed like new to new to things, shyness of jean grey and then the more outspokenness um beast yeah. beast is my wild card of of my x-men probably of my whole thing but beast is my wild card for beast i went with daniel radcliffe
1: i've heard this before
0: yeah i i think it would be fun i think it would be fun i think it would be um a good role for him. You don't make him blue right away like they did with with these films. You give it some time because it was a long time before he turned blue in the comics. So you can give it some time. Uh, for Angel, I went with Tyler James Williams of uh, Everybody Hates Chris and The Walking Dead fame. And for Iceman, I went with Stranger Things, Joe Curie.
1: Yeah. I like your picks. They're they're younger than all of ours, I think, both me and Alex's. Um, you got some, like, really young up-and-comers in there.
0: Yeah. So yeah. That, those are my X-Men. Now, for, for the Brotherhood, I wanted to go as close to when they first came out as possible. Unfortunately, besides Toad and Mastermind, it was Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, which <laughs> obviously can't. Um, so I grabbed a couple other characters, uh, to kind of round things out and to equal out the group. So my Magneto, I went with Iman Walker. Uh, currently he's known as the, the fire chief on Chicago fire. Uh, but I challenge anybody to watch an episode of Oz, which he was a star on and not think of him as Magneto. Uh, the man carries a presence and is legitimately scary with just the look of his eye. Uh, so big on him. Um, for Mystique, I went with, uh, Sophia Batella of, uh, Kingsman and Atomic Blonde fame. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think she's just the right fit for playing that kind of a character.
1: You couldn't get enough, Mummy, could you?
0: I, you know, she deserve she deserves a franchise that doesn't fall apart. True, <laughs> she really deserves it.
2: Maybe don't task her with with uh, X Men, you know, immediately. I feel like you're wishing harm upon her.
0: Maybe, but she also deserves work. Yeah. Um, now, Toad. I initially thought this sounded weird, but the more I look at it, the more it makes sense. For Toad, I went with Elijah Woods.
1: <laughs> that works really well.
0: And yeah, it's it's one of those things that sounds weird and then you think about his current career and you go, No, that checks out. <laughs> that that checks out kinda nicely. Oh,
1: um That's great.
0: Now, with Mastermind, uh the original Mastermind in the in the comics was was male, but I decided to, um, skip him and go to his daughter, who became Lady Mastermind, just to kind of keep it less of a sausage fest, um, in this movie. And so, I've got Lady Mastermind, uh, the character, for, for those who aren't familiar, is a master manipulator, can make, can basically project things, make people think that they're seeing one thing when it's another, uh, someone who can really screw with with your perception of reality. Uh, and for for that for the role of Lady Mastermind, I have it as a tie because um, I could I could not decide which one of these I thought was better. So uh, choices are Nicole Bahari, who was um, Abby on Sleepy Hollow is her biggest claim to fame, I think. Uh, her. Or if you really want to give someone a chance to just go left field on everyone in her career and surprise everyone, you go Issa Rae. Oh. Um, which I think would be really, I think it'd be really fun. I think it's something that she's more than capable of. Um, then you go Blob. I've got Paul Walter Hauser. That's great, um, yeah. Because, like, with Blob, you need a legitimately good act, like, a really good actor, so that way he's not just a fat joke. Yeah. And so I think someone with as good a skill as him could really help out with that. Um, and then the, my last Brotherhood member is uh, Slither, who is basically a, a weird combination of man and snake who can, um, essentially you have sort of a boneless quality to him, but he has a, like a snake head and can wrap people. He's, he's very le- out there weirdness, but I think out there weirdness is, is what X-Men needs to do to, as Monty has put it before, not be safe. Yeah. Um, and for this character, just because I thought it'd be fun, I went with Davine Diggs. I love him.
1: Put him in everything. Well, yes. I can't believe I can't believe I didn't include him. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> let, me go, let me go back and fix everything. Make everybody play by David Diggs.
0: Yes. <laughs> Davine Diggs in X-Men, a one-man show.
1: <laughs> he, he could be a good pyro. Maybe I'll change my pyro to him.
0: Oh, yeah. He, no, he'd make yeah. a phenomenal pyro. Um, I think really with either one of your choices for Pyro, you're solid. Um, no, I do want real- to, oh, God,
2: I was going to say, uh, first to Monty, I couldn't put, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen uh, on my list because in my mind, he's going to be cast as Craven the Hunter in uh, the third Oh, Spider-Man that's film. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had suggested that to Tom after we had watched, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, but also, Tom, how dare you cast all of the X-Men and not find a place for Tatiana Maslani? <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I'm waiting to see story. if she's actually She-Hulk or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I've heard she is. I've heard she isn't. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I want to, <laughs> we got to wait and see if she's actually, because if she isn't going to be, she Hulk then yeah bring her in down the road as rogue mm-hmm. yeah. you know she'd yep. kill it that role um I'd kill it any role because she's amazing which you wouldn't know because you won't fucking watch Orphan Black there there's my one the per episode <laughs>
2: um I also wanted to avoid uh you know picks like um oh geez the um the guy from the office, and who's married to Emily Blunt.
0: Oh, John uh, Krasinski. Krasinski.
2: Yeah, John Krasinski. He, you know, he's he's sort of the front runner with Emily Blunt for Mister Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. Um, and I, he, you know, I mean, people just throw names around. They're just they're just trying to hype up what they think would be a cool idea. Um, but they had also said possibly um, Zach Efron for the Human Torch in uh, Fantastic Four. That's the popular fan casting right now, which is also why I left him off. Cause I think that he would be an interesting choice for Wolverine or, or even, you know, beast or, or something that is, has maybe a smaller role and he's not necessarily the main character.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm still rooting for Taron Egerton from uh, Kingsman and rocket man for human torch.
1: Mm, yeah. That'll, that would also be good. That's still... I know people wanted him to be Wolverine too, kind of cause uh, Hugh Jackman has sort of taken him under his wing with that Eddie the Eagle movie and oh, yeah. everything, so well, I, can, I I, I could see that too. But he would need to put on a lot of weight.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, yeah.
1: both him and Zac Efron have a very similar
2: physicality, though. Yeah, it's, they're they're very similar build.
0: Well, you so, get you get that beach body that uh, Zac Efron has in Baywatch, and I I think that body's you know you start with you at least start with that, yeah, and yeah. go from there. if you told me
2: i could start with that i would have never looked like this (laughs) if that was an option (laughs) we wouldn't be here
0: today i i'm i'm just assuming that some people can start with that i don't actually know (laughs) i clearly don't actually know
2: all right any final thoughts on x-men casting integrating them in the mcu
0: No, I just wanted to, the last thing I want to do is give a shout out to anyone who gave us a a potential casting options for, uh, Professor X and Magneto online. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got, uh, Andy over at Geek Salad, uh, right now tentatively known as Geek Salad with Cranberry Sauce, uh, (laughs) He's into the idea of Gary Oldman as Professor X and Giancarlo Esposita as Magneto. Yep. So, I, I would love to see Oldman show up somewhere. But I feel like there either has to be him tapping into some Fifth Element style zaniness. Or it's got to be someone who's super stoic but also super evil. Yeah. For it to really land.
2: Is there any older mutants other than Xavier and Magneto? I feel like
0: I'm sure there is.
2: We get Xavier and Magneto and then everyone else is about 40 years removed from yeah, from, from <laughs> the two of them.
0: Well, in the in the comics, Juggernaut is Xavier's brother. Mm-hmm. So he would not be that he would not be that far removed from professor yeah. X. Gotcha. So you have that option. Um, let's see. Uh, we got Tom different Tom than me. Obviously. Uh, he went, uh, Ben Kingsley and Christopher Lee.
1: I hate to break it to him. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, setting aside obvious, uh, setting aside obvious conflicts of interest, in um, in their their current work as non-Mandarin and non-living, um, <laughs> th- sorry to make too glib a, a thing of it, but it's kind of the reality. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, has it also been like at least five years? And you know, he, he passed away a while ago.
0: Well, yeah. and <laughs> I mean, we didn't. I didn't specify that people had to cast the living. Right. So, true. Yeah. Um. And it's certainly not the the most out, you know. He's got a dead person, and it's still not the most out there <laughs> option that that yeah. I was given. Um,
2: if we're doing Christopher Lee as Magneto, we're doing Peter Cushing as uh, as Professor X. That'd be a hell of a casting.
0: See, I'd do Christopher Lee as Professor X, and Peter Cushing as Magneto.
2: You just like being contrarian.
0: No, I think Peter, Cush- Peter Cushing has like the perfect head. For the Magneto helmet. Let's let's all, like, be honest with ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's all give ourselves a, an excessive intervention on that one. All right. Uh, then we got uh, Bub and Gob's show. They they win the day for, for the out there. Their vote is Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal and they stipulated that they are wearing ugly Christmas sweaters the whole time. (laughs) The thing that I love the most about this suggestion is that it's not even half as ridiculous as some of the actual decisions made by some of the 20th century Fox X-Men movies. (laughs) They, this makes more sense to me than let's cast Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and so his mouth shut. Yeah. They, this, this, you know, let's make silver samurai a frail old man. This makes more sense than that decision. Um, so I, I, apl- I applaud them for, for just going, screw it. Let's just, let's just, let's just commit. Uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall podcast, which is our uh good friend Aaron. Um he voted for Idris Elba as Professor X, and I, before he even knew I was gonna say it, went with Iman Walker for Magneto. Um so, there we go. Somebody else who agreed. I'm not always a naysayer. Sometimes there is somebody else who thinks like me. <laughs> <laughs> Though I will point out it's because I spent years during and post-college yelling at him to watch things like Oz so he could fall in love with the on Walker. So, it's mainly due to my own corruption of him. But, what are you going to do? Um, so what happens next? They win Christoph Waltz as Magneto and Brian Cranston as Professor X. Um... I mean, that would work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it'd be very interesting because more than any other selection on here, I would worry about Brian Cranston falling into the, like, exhaustive white savior feel that James McAvoy had, but again, part of that's just how things are written. Um, and also because I can only imagine Brian Cranston's Zordon voice if I'm trying to imagine him speaking as Professor X. So, <laughs> that I'm sure that doesn't help. Uh, and then, uh, last but not least, we've got LT, the Quixotic Clown. He went Gary Oldman as Professor X and Forrest Whitaker as Magneto that force I mean that Magneto choice with Forrest Whitaker that is an interesting one
1: I will say though that Forrest Whitaker was in Black Panther yes I not forget so
0: yeah yes yes we have already um, unceremoniously killed him off but we're, I mean we've only got about 10 more years before we're going well who are we going <laughs> to cast in this movie well yeah. <laughs> we're going to cast so and so why they're the only person who's never been in an MCU film. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are going to get to that point eventually. But. Yeah. Despite not having a physicality that I think people would instinctively go with for for Magneto. Forrest Whitaker definitely has the like. The the like, intensity and presence mm-hmm. of it. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah
0: it makes me think immediately of his performance on the shield where he just slowly, his obsession just kind of slowly drew, drove him insane. Um, and thinking about that performance and putting that into, into a Magneto, um, that would probably as a result, eventually just get super, super desperate as the, the film franchise went on would be, that, it, I mean, it would be captivating to watch, to say the least. But
2: that's that's the problem with a lot of the you know the casting fan castings that you read off is as cool as they might be, and as much as we'd love to see Idris Elba in there, like it is so difficult to find actors who have not been in an MCU film at this point because there's so many actors that we really love who have already been utilized. You know, I'd love to put Sam Rockwell somewhere. I'd love to put, um, you know, just a number of actors who have been used on in relatively small parts or or big parts that, um, you know, they don't want to recycle yet. And I'm wondering when they'll kind of break down that barrier and say, well, enough time has passed or this character's been dead long enough or we can dress them a, a certain way that they don't really you know, have to have a connection with their other character.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it's going to depend on, I, th- I think if they can pull off X-Men, then we're going to add probably 10 years from when that movie comes on, onto whatever the timetable is going to be before we start to see them either hit reset or really dive into recycling. Yeah because we've also gotten to the point with them where we've literally told them, if you give us a movie with seventies music, a talking raccoon and a tree that says three (laughs) words, we're going to flock to that movie and praise you guys till no end. We're not really telling them you have a finite amount of your characters that you can use. We basically told them just fall into a pile of the comic books from your history Pull one out of there. That could be your next movie. We're gonna go see it. Yeah. I think the only thing that we're never going to attempt is turning Thor into a frog. I, I, I think I think never? the Thor is a frog I don't story know, arc. Never say never.
2: Love and
0: we, thunder. We'll see. We we alluded to it. We alluded to it in um, in Thor Ragnarok oh, right. with yeah. with Asgardian. Award-winning actor Matt Matt Damon um, as Loki. Um, he he does reference it, so yeah. Which really was as any for the like three people plus the guy who came up with the idea that like that story arc. Um, that's as good as you're ever gonna get with it, realistically. <laughs> Unless for some reason they they do Thor as a TV series next and they really need something to do for two episodes it's all you got yep but guys um, with that we have uh, we've done what we can to inspire the MCU to greatness to uh, reminisce on the days of 20th Century Fox and try to rewrite it in a better light uh, Monty, I wanna thank you so much for, for coming and hanging out with us and um putting putting your own personal touch and spin on on the the world of X Men.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. I don't get to talk about like this on my podcast that much, so it was it was a lot of fun to get to do all this stuff. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're always looking for, for fun and different things to do. So if you're ever going, man, I never get to do that on my show. Well, our show is basically a grab bag. So just <laughs> hit us up and go, Hey, I want to do this, but I don't want to do it on my show. We'll just be like, yeah, sure. We'll do it on ours. Why not?
2: Yeah. We'll, we'll workshop shit on our you, show.
0: It's fine. Like, you want to do an episode where we just sit here and complain about all the really bad things? fake plot holes in MCU movies. Yeah. We'll do a whole episode dedicated to that. Sure.
2: it's <laughs> That's, actually My, some, I, that's, that's
0: something we've talked about. I'm not going to lie.
2: <laughs> I'm sure I'm speaking on, on behalf of Tom as well, but I, I, we really appreciate you being on the show. I think, uh, your analysis of, of the
1: X-Men franchise was very insightful. and I'm, I'm happy to talk to you, man. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you so much. And it was great meeting you, Alex. Uh, um, you know, I mean, any time you guys want to come on to the podcast, I I, mean, I know Tom's been on before, but I do weekly podcasts about film and television and great guests every week. So you guys are more than welcome. And if your listeners are looking for more uh, movie related podcasts, we just did a whole bunch of cool episodes, um, top five David Fincher films. I just had one of the mics from Mike, Mike and Oscar on to absolutely thrash Hillbilly Elegy. That was a ton of fun. Um, more stuff coming later in the year. Definitely a blast. So I'd love to have you guys on.
0: Absolutely.
1: Tom doesn't, Tom doesn't take me with him whenever he does get spots. I d- I'm not allowed to
2: go.
0: I try to. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> but you have a job that's during the day. <laughs> You're not like me. You don't work in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lucky bastard. um <laughs> Uh yeah, for the for the like three or four people that that listen to our show and don't listen to yours and I'm I'm giving ourselves an extra five people for that. Um, to let everyone know, you know, where they can find you on social media, where they can find your show. Um, cuz yeah, guys, if you're not listening to movie marathon or you need to make a part of your your regular podcast diet. <coughs>
1: that's very kind thank you so much Tom um, yeah so it's Movie Marathoners I'm on Twitter mainly that's my uh, burner count you can follow me at Movie Mara Pod, uh Movie M-A-R-A Pod and then you know we're on wherever you get podcasts at this point you know <laughs> iTunes Spotify got a whole list of them but it's it's wherever you get podcasts and would love if you take a listen thanks a lot again guys
0: absolutely and uh, as always guys you can follow us on Twitter at movies work and you can f- find us wherever you're listening to the podcast currently at this exact moment but also on other things like Apple, Google, Stitcher and Spotify. If you are on Apple or anywhere else that lets you rate and comment on a show please make sure to do that so that way we can know the aspects of our show that are working and how much of our show isn't. Don't worry. You don't need to be gentle. A good cry is very helpful every now and then. Uh, <laughs> so, guys, with that being said, uh, we're going to we're gonna go ahead and wrap up here because I promised you guys no depressing end-of-the-episode chatter. So, with that, being s- quick. <laughs> with that being said, I'm Thomas Green.
2: I'm Alex Dues. Uh,
0: this has been Movies After Work. Be kind, be safe, and have a good day at work.
2: Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.